I've seen ads where people have been bragging about their rating on Airbnb. Yes. And they're renting out a furnished <laughs> listing and they say, oh yeah, I'm I'm a great landlord. I've got a you know five-star rating or 4.999 rip stars on Airbnb. And to me, that just screams the bed that I'm going to be renting has been slept on by like thousands and thousands of people. I'm Hayes Hartwig. This is Bamboo, Vancouver's property management and investment podcast. Welcome to the show. Happy New Year. We made it through. It's 2024. This is the first show of the new year. And of course, we'll be going through the stats for January, as well as some predictions that uh, we're going to be holding Peter here to for the rest of the year. So if he's wrong, be sure to hold him accountable and uh, send all your hate mail to peter at vancouverrentit.com. So without further ado, welcome back to the show, Peter. Good luck. Thank you. Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of rough, but uh, yeah, we'll make we'll make some predictions and hopefully they're they're going to be correct. And and uh, yeah, I can hate mail. Hate mail's fine if, exactly. if that's uh, what people want to send. That's okay. It won't be anything new for a, a property manager, <laughs> of course. <laughs> yeah. So um, one of the things you've been on the show a few times, but what did you used to do before you were a property manager? Uh, before I was a property manager, I worked in the tourism industry, actually. I worked uh, at a marina uh, that did boat rentals and uh, boat tours. And uh, yeah, it started kind of as, as a summer job that I was doing while I was in school. Mm-hmm. And then I did it for a couple of years after I left school, thought about being in the tourism industry a little bit, decided that uh, I wanted to pursue a different direction. And then, uh, yeah, got my property management license. Ah, nice. Yeah, and you've been at it for what now? Two years? This is the fourth. I'll be going into my fourth year. Fourth is holy cow, yeah. how time flies by. <laughs> yeah. So thinking back, though, when you first started, what were some of the rookie mistakes that you look back now and go like, damn, I shouldn't have been doing that? Uh, one of them that actually comes to mind right away is, uh, and I'm kind of going through this because my... Uh, my brother is actually just starting with Vancouver Rent It, yeah, uh, so he's kind of you know learning the same things. Um, it is uh, when I was scheduling showings, I always used to schedule um, like one showing. I would get an email and I would get so excited, and I would say, "Oh my god, I have to go show this person right now!" Yeah, and then I would show them, and they wouldn't want it, and then I'd go get one more email. That, you know, an hour later, oh, I got to go show this person. So you know, I'd end up doing. You know, four showings spread across four days because oh, I was just so excited. And then I realized, oh, I can just wait two days and schedule these all for the same day and that'll be a lot easier. So we'll make a little smarter. Than yeah, exactly. I just think I got so excited. I was like, oh, my God, I'm getting my first people are interested in seeing this property. I want to go. So, um, yeah, that was, that was something that comes to mind. It was uh uh, a little naive, I guess, but uh, yeah. everybody starts there. I mean, I, I did the same thing when I started too, uh, both on both sides. I mean, on the sales side, obviously, you go right away, but for the rental side, it moves so much quicker that you, yeah, you just brush out there and say, "Well, the amount of gas and car time that I have spent rushing around to showings that may or may not show up, especially if you're using, you know, Facebook." Uh, then do this ghost exactly exactly so yeah yeah i think as well like learning which platforms are good to use which platforms maybe are still good to use but are maybe not going to have the best results so to kind of be more more careful with showing people from those because they might just be not great um just kind of learning 
you know, what all the different rental platforms have to offer and stuff like that. Oh, and, and being more efficient with booking showings, I think, is, is one thing that saved me a lot of time yeah. um, and as well gotten me some better tenants. Yeah, so. for sure, right? So, yeah. Well, with that, we will get into the stats for January. Uh, after three consecutive decreases, there was a slight $26 increase. Uh, it's reported by Live.Rent, which is actually one of the platforms you're just talking about. Uh, bringing the average to 2367 for a one-bed in Greater Vancouver. Have you been seeing an uptick in prices and activity yourself? or Maybe not an uptick in prices, but definitely activity. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we, we probably touched on this in December, uh, right at the beginning of December. I think we, we yeah. had, a, had a show where we talked about the stats and the prices had gone down again. And the, for the three weeks or, you know, almost a month following that, it was pretty dead. Yeah, um, didn't, didn't do very many showings. Um, there's just like a natural slowdown of the market where most people are, you know, cooking turkey dinner instead of setting, you know, setting up appointments to view properties. Yeah, like, absolutely. There's still, there were still some people who were interested. Maybe they had to move for January 1st mm-hmm. because their landlord was selling or something or moving back in. But other than those people, I don't think there were many people who choose say, hey, January will be a great time to, or December will be a great time to find a new place to live. So, although we do have some influx with the set of students, like obviously September is the big one, but uh, I've noticed that there has for been the, a lot more students looking around because January is there. For the a, second term. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely pretty quiet. Um, so I, I'm not surprised that it's you know started to pick up a little bit. Um, even the first week of January is still a little bit slower than you would expect um, as everybody comes out of hibernation and uh, <laughs> wakes up a little bit and says, okay, well, maybe time to find a place to live or whatever they yeah, need right. to do. So, uh, yeah, not surprising that there's a little bit of an uptick in price. I mean, it's not significant, yeah. um, but we'll probably see it continue to increase month over month. Um uh, you know, until the yeah. summer and, and carry on through the summer. Yeah, that's generally the uh, the traditional practice of what happens, I guess, as it were. Hmm. So now just for the listeners that haven't uh, heard of it before, the reason why we u- we're using a one bedroom unfurnished for our averages and when we're talking about the price per square foot, et cetera, et cetera, that we use the unfurnished one bedroom. The reason for this, of course, is because that's level one. That's the base level. Obviously, a bachelor will be a little bit less, and a two-bedroom and three-bedroom, so on and so forth, will be more. So, for those of you who are just new to the channel, that is what we are using when we're speaking about averages and price per square foot and so on and so forth. Uh, the average price per square foot is at $3.04 per square foot, with the top being Vancouver proper, North Van being second, and Burnaby being third. Um, this is typical. Now we're, we're getting back into more traditional. Every once in a while, we get a new building, of course, and the the price per square foot gets knocked out of whack. Mm-hmm. I think New West was up at five bucks at some point in time because of a bunch of new builds. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah. So it's just the typical way. Um, that being said, of course, price per square foot is not the end all be all for pricing. What do you kind of use for your pricing, and what are some considerations that you take into when you're Trying to price a place just right off the hop. Um, mostly just other comparable units uh, in the area. Um, so what I first started to do is I take a look on Craigslist because um, that's kind of the the predominant platform mm-hmm. in uh, in BC. Um, so I take a look on Craigslist, look for units that are in the area that are around the same size, same number of bedrooms and bathrooms, and then 
take a look at the photos. Do the photos look kind of similar? Are, is the one unit super dated versus another one? And then kind of try and make conclusions based on what, what else is out there, which is if I was looking for a unit for myself, which I have done in the past, it's mm-hmm. exactly what I would do. I would mm-hmm. take a look on Craigslist, look around to see what's available um, in the area that I like with the kind of size that I like. I definitely wouldn't be doing price per square foot calculations <laughs> necessarily. Uh, I think maybe people do them a little bit kind of in their heads. They go, well, this one's this much and and it's a you know 600 square feet and this one's the same price, but it's a thousand. Yeah. Obviously, you're going to draw a bit of a conclusion from that size difference, but I don't think anybody's sitting down with an egg maybe some people are with an excel spreadsheet and figuring out price per square foot but to be honest you know not a huge deal when you're just renting yeah when you're purchasing i guess price per square foot is obviously different because to some degree yeah, yeah to some degree because people are they're, they want to make sure they're purchasing every little piece that they can get for the yeah, best price exactly. I guess. <laughs> but uh for renting you know your your kind of needs are number of bedrooms number of bathrooms and yeah. and you know the kind of the how the finishings are and how renovated the place is I think is yeah I mean there's definitely a difference in the hierarchy I guess of desires between sales and rental which is actually interesting because I was going to touch in on this that sometimes you'll run into landlords that are talking about that they have this view or brand name uh, appliances and stuff like this which is interesting because on the sales side that does kind of play into some effect mm-hmm. but on the tenancy side i mean do your appliances work great and off they go like a tenant generally has a different hierarchy yeah what they're looking for there's i have had people come in um and kind of take a you know a closer look at some of that stuff and Mm -hmm. take a look at the appliances and make comments on it and stuff like that and most of the time those people are renters who are also homeowners mm. or are previously homeowners and they've sold or, or something like that. They've been in the yeah. in the game for a while and they kind of know exactly what they want. And to be honest, sometimes those people aren't going to get exactly <laughs> what they want because they're just renting and they yeah. don't really have the option to negotiate on changing all the appliances to melee or whatever. Like yeah, exactly. they, they just don't have the option. So, um, but in general, nobody's going in and saying, oh my God, these appliances aren't the, the right brand or, or whatever, yeah. or I don't have a double broiler oven or all this stuff <laughs> it, in general, right? Obviously yeah. at a certain price point, maybe people do look at more at that stuff. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about a you know one bedroom, unfurnished downtown, most yeah. people aren't going to be making that distinction um, and are, are really just going to be you know, hey, do I want to live here for a year or two? <laughs> yeah, I guess bar- barring that they're not that like, marigold green or whatever from the 70s or 80s that all of our parents had you know exactly which oddly enough still work still work they made them to last (laughs) so i I don't know what they've changed now but they still work if you could repaint those we'd be good to go yeah exactly so with the pricing though because you were talking about negotiating in that what when do you decide that it's time to revisit the price because obviously it's not an exacting science with pricing when do you make that call? Is it two weeks or no calls or usually? Bef- well, it depends on the owner's timeline, yeah. right? So if the owner gives me a call today and says we want it rented for February first, mm-hmm. well, we've got th- three weeks, um, <laughs> so we're going to have to get into action very quickly, mm-hmm. and we're going to have to be more aggressive on the price. And basically, you know, if say I was going to put the ad live today, which is the January eighth, you know. If I don't get any responses in two days, we have to lower the price. Yeah, and then absolutely. if we don't get any responses two days after that, we're going to lower the price again. Um, 
If it's for March 1st, we have a little more room, so maybe wait four days. But if you're not getting any responses in the first four days of posting the ad, you know, barring any sort of external market factors, people probably aren't interested in your place. Like (laughs) generally, also if I delete, sometimes I'll delete old ads and repost them, Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll get like two or three responses because people are always kind of refreshing the page, refreshing the page and looking for the ones that are just posted. So if yours pops up on that list, they'll click on it. So that that can be an effective technique to kind of see if you can jolt and a sad old tired listing alive. Well, that's one of the things too that I've noticed. I'm not 100% convinced that when you hit renew on Craigslist that it actually puts it back up to the top. See, this is a little this is a little trick. You don't I don't do the renew, you fully delete and then repost. Yeah. Which yeah, that's takes, what I Yeah, which yeah. takes a little more time. The renew thing, I don't know about that one. I don't I don't think it I think it just says that it's renewed it, but it doesn't Yeah. bump it up to the top. I'm not sure. Yeah, plus um, you, I, I just noticed that when you Re, like take it down and repost it you usually get significantly it's more fresh for it. sure so I, I would suggest for any of the diy landlords if you're not getting the action and you do make that change to your price or your photos or whatever you've changed to maybe just take it down and put it back up just because you, you might as well err on the side of caution right for sure yeah um however that's not you know just cl- you know just deleting and reposting isn't a replacement for changing the price no <laughs> if if you need to change the price and you're really not getting any responses then you have to do it uh, unfortunately the market you know we're, we're not i'm not choosing what the price is the the people are <laughs> oh, I, I absolutely I, I actually just did a video on that saying that the market speaks and it may be cruel but it doesn't lie exactly so. <laughs> yeah yeah I, I i saw that you, you said that so yeah it's, it's it's so true um you have to sometimes you have to do it and if your place comes up for rent in january you might have to make some concessions um that you wouldn't have to maybe if it came up for rent in august but it, it just is what it is i mean you could wait until august to re-rent it for 200 dollars higher and leave it empty for six months. That, <laughs> probably be ill-advised. Up to you. Yeah, that's <laughs> up to up to somebody. So something else I've noticed while we're talking about kind of refreshing on platforms mm-hmm. is I've had a couple of Facebook ads that have been online on Facebook Marketplace for a couple of, maybe like a couple of weeks. Yeah. And then after a while, I just don't get any responses for those ones. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think Facebook is just a horrible platform, but it does get <laughs> lots of lots of eyes. You get lots of traffic. Yeah. So I've just been fully deleting them and then reposting them and then right away getting a couple of responses. So, oh, so like maybe they're working with the same. Sort of- but I feel, I feel like it's even worse. I feel like Facebook is kind of just like completely filtering your ad out. <laughs> after three weeks, they just go, eh, this person's ad is... It's not not drawing. No, yeah, there's no point in showing it, and it's like harder to find or something like yeah. that. So, just something to be aware of, I guess. It's as well because like marketplace is busy. There yeah. is people putting things up all the time. Mm-hmm. Like, if you look for a car and renew or refresh your browser, it's a whole new set. All of a sudden, like there are a lot of people using that. Yeah, but the quality of the the inquiry is usually not that great i find usually lower usually lower i get that sounds funny but i get very excited when i get a craigslist email come in and for somebody who says hey you know i'm really interested in this place and they give me all these nice details about their life versus somebody who clicks the is this available button (laughs) on facebook marketplace when i see that i just die a little inside (laughs) because you know you know it's like because i just know 90 percent they're not 90 percent it's not going to be worth it um so yeah just a little funny thing about the differences in the platforms that yeah there's there's always like little intricacies on on that and with the pricing sometimes you'll get a, a landlord that wants to just shoot for the stars and 
you know, they say, oh, we'll just try it and see what happens. What are your thoughts on that? Do, do you think this is a good practice? I mean, obviously, you don't want to leave any money on the table, but... I don't mind. I actually don't mind doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, if their expectations are such that if we, I don't get any responses after two days, we can lower the price. Yeah, fair But, fair. like, I don't want to just sit, you know, personally, I don't... And the owner shouldn't want to do this either. I don't want to sit on a, a listing that's, you know, $500 overpriced for, like, a month. Yeah. Like, if we don't have to. Of course, you know, the client is... If the client wants that, then sure. But I don't think it's worth doing. Um, but yes, if somebody wants to shoot for the stars for, you know, add a couple hundred dollars, no problem. Mm-hmm. The thing I think they should maybe be aware of is that if you really, really gouge your tenants, there's the potential for them to not want to stay for longer. Um, whereas if, you know, say it was, if you just rent something for market price, yeah. they might look around and say, well, I'm, I'm getting an okay deal based on the, the other places on the market so there's no yeah. reason to leave yeah right whereas after a year if somebody reevaluates their rent and they go man i'm getting absolutely gouged here yeah by you know by 300 400 500 because maybe they didn't know maybe they were from out of town they didn't mm-hmm. know what the prices were it's definitely possible that somebody might go i'm i could move to a new place and upgrade maybe or at least side grade for yeah, cheaper absolutely right Just so save that 400 bucks right? yeah so it really depends um but i think it's not a not the worst thing in the world to do but I would advise against too, too shooting too much for the stars. Yeah, <laughs> maybe keep it at the lower stars. Yeah, maybe, maybe <laughs> just like be honest with yourself. If you're not getting the calls in the first couple of days, you took your shot. It wasn't there. M- move on. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes, but but I think trying to get you know market price or maybe slightly higher than market price to start is totally fine as long as you're willing to adjust if necessary. Yeah, absolutely. So we said at the top of the show that we're going to get into some of the predictions. So let's just kind of ballpark. Don't worry. We won't actually hold you to the fire, man. It's, it's, it's okay. We'll, we'll just blame it on you, brother. <laughs> um, <laughs> so the interest rates, the Bank of Canada is supposed to meet on January 25th. So in a couple of weeks. And a lot of people figure that they're going to hold the rates where they currently are. What are you thinking? Do you think it's going to be where it is? Go down, go up? What, what are your thoughts? Um, yeah, I think they'll probably hold the rates for a, a little bit longer um, and, and then start to decrease them. I don't think we're going to stay in this super high rate interest rate period for too much longer, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's going to be quite yet. Um, uh, I think, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier off the show that uh, potentially, you know, by the summer, they'll start to, you know, start to come, start down. To come down. But yeah, I don't think maybe January 25th. I don't think it'll quite be yet. Yeah. So people might just have to hold on for a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, that's a pretty pretty un- relatively uneducated guess from myself. So <laughs> please, no hate mail. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm in the same camp as you. I think that they're probably going to hold it for the next maybe one or two at least. I, I would suspect, obviously, I don't have a crystal ball, but somewhere around May um, that they may start coming down. So we'll We'll see what's going on with that. Now, a few months ago, we had Phil from Citadel Law come in, and he was speaking about some changes regarding laws in collections. Uh, in essence, that a garnishment order, if it's filled, will remain over having to refile over and over. Um, do you think that will change anything, maybe bring more landlords back to the market? Because some of them are leaving their place empty because they're afraid 
of if anything goes wrong and they don't know what to do type of thing. What, what, what are your thoughts on that, dude? P- potentially. I, I still think the process, like the RTB process plus the small claims registering monetary order process is complicated for most people and takes too long mm-hmm. in general. That I, I think just all of that just does make people shy away from so it has you know i know people who definitely shy away from long-term rentals because they yeah. just say it's just not worth all my time and headache if, if something goes wrong um i think it's great i think they should continue to add more options and make it easier for landlords to file judgments against tenants who are uh delinquent on their payments yeah. um and, and make it make it easier to file those and stuff like that but i think you know, changing one small method and, you know, making it so the garnishing order doesn't fall off is, is great, but I, I think it's not that much of a needle mover. Yeah. Um, personally, I, I still think it, I, you know, I've got lots of monetary orders <laughs> pending that, you know, yeah. I haven't been able to do anything with just because it's, it's difficult. Uh, but that is obviously a positive, you know, that as they kind of chip away at it. Mm-hmm. Um, I still think, you know, lots of people out there, they maybe they win their RTB case. And then that's kind of where it stops because the yeah. the actual RTB process is is not too bad. It takes a long time, but you have, you usually eventually get to the end of it and yeah. you get an answer, yes or no, that you won or lost. But then after that, it is quite difficult to know what to do next. If yeah. you haven't done it before, if you're just a, a DIY landlord, it is, I think it's difficult. Yeah, um, it's di- relatively difficult for me to navigate and I've done it before. So yeah. uh, I think for somebody who's maybe doing it for the first time, and this also isn't their full-time job, <laughs> <laughs> it's probably a little tricky. Um, yeah. The nice part though as well is that it will also work for the tenants because we've heard also in, in the news and stuff like this where a tenant will win from the landlord and then they have to figure out how to collect it. And it might, it might just sort of level the playing field for everybody and at least... It feels almost like it'll give the RTB maybe a little bit more teeth. I hope so. For, for both sides, like both landlord and tenant. A hundred percent. I think it would be wonderful if they could shorten the RTB process to be way quicker mm-hmm. and then also um, make it easier for, for tenants and landlords to collect the money that they're owed. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you go through the process and you win as a landlord or a tenant and then you can't collect the money, it... Yeah, it's almost like a kick in the teeth. It is, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it almost be better if you just lost, and then it's like, okay, ah, uh, damn, I lost, yeah. and that's it. But if you win and then can't collect it anyways, yeah. you feel like you wasted all this time for nothing. Exactly. So, uh, you know, I hope they can continue to make changes. Um, but you know, it's positive that they're they're at least thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, at least there's some doing something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, now speaking with the changes in laws, we did see last year that the rental restrictions for stratas were just done away with. Now, some people thought that this is going to be, this is the fix type of thing. Um, have you seen much change from this? Um, I mean, there's been a, I've definitely had a couple of clients um, who have reached out or, or, you know, new clients who reached out and said, Hey, I, I used to not be able to rent and now I'm, now I'm renting it out. So yeah. that's great. Um, that obviously, you know, if I can think about it, maybe two or three, that, it, that were like that. I mean, yeah. there could have been more that just didn't tell me that they were previously <laughs> in a building that couldn't do it. Yeah. Um, every now and then I still see signs on buildings that say no rentals. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, the building manager just hasn't taken pull, it pull, down pull yet off. or anything <laughs> like that. But um, yeah, I think it's a good thing. Um, the Those strata restrictions, I think, were pretty unnecessary, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I noticed on the sales side that 
almost every building that we went to that had rental restrictions, there was a wait list. So it clearly was something that people wanted. Yeah. Um, and it just, I, I'm glad that they've done away with this finally. And and I mean, I'm sure there's some people who would say, oh, well, it's so much worse for owners. But I mean, if there are owners, if there was huge wait lists in the building, it probably means that the majority of owners wanted it, oh, yeah. wanted to be able to rent it anyways. So I, I think unfortunately, you know, for like the, the, the very small minority that was like completely against it, you know, you're kind of SOTL because uh, <laughs> there was obviously a lot of people that wanted it. So I think that was very positive. Yeah. Um, and uh, but again, a, a, a small, you know, drop in a in a in a large ocean that is, you know, the housing difficulty. So, yeah, the problem is, I think, is that we need to have a sudden rush of available units, which would then lower the prices. But right now, five new units come on, five new units get rented. So yeah, we're kind of in that same steady state. Yeah, it's a bit yeah. of like a trickle, right? When they all, yeah, I think you're right. Like a big rush would would kind of totally change the market. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as they as they kind of come in one by one, or a couple here, a couple there, uh, and I think we're going to talk about this a little later, changing some of the Airbnb rules, yeah. um, which are all positive. These are all positive changes, but I, I don't think, you know. We're going to wake up one day and be like, oh, my God, affordable housing for absolutely everybody who lives here. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a little bit of a, a lofty goal, a big, great goal. Yeah. But yeah. Um, actually, well, we'll talk about the Airbnb right now, actually, since the rules are supposed to be changing on May 1st of this year. That's when they actually take hold. Essentially, we'll restrict it to a principal residence and or a secondary suite. So basically, a lot of these condos that are being airbnb right now can't be or not legally at least mm -hmm. so do you think from this that are we going to see more furnished rentals or do you think people are just going to cash out and sell if the if the rates drop because then the market might pick up as far as the sales price like what do you what, what do you think I, this is going to go i definitely think a lot of those are going to convert into long-term rentals mm -hmm. um I, I think a lot of people especially if they've owned for a long time they might be mortgage free or they might have a much smaller mortgage compared to the value of their home now. Mm -hmm. um, so those people, you know, sure, they're going to be losing income from not being able to Airbnb it, but not too bad to still be able to rent it out at a, you know, relatively strong price, which, yeah. you know, prices are for rentals are pretty high yeah, these days. Absolutely. Anyways, I think Airbnb prices are astronomical compared to them. Mm -hmm. But I think those people, hopefully they've been saving a little bit, <laughs> saving some of that money instead of spending it on other things. Yeah. Um, in the meantime, while they've been able to take advantage of, of Airbnb, at least in the city of Vancouver. Um, so yeah, I do think a lot of those are going to be converted to long-term rentals. I think a lot of those are going to be converted to long-term furnished rentals for a little bit. And then people <laughs> are going to realize that unfurnished for long-term makes way more sense. Uh, and that their IKEA furniture isn't adding much to the uh, to the value. To the value. Yeah. Um, I think I've probably said this on the show before when we talked about it last time, but I've seen ads where people have been bragging about their rating on Airbnb. Yes, and they're renting out a furnished <laughs> listing, and they say, "Oh yeah, I'm I'm a great landlord. I've got a you know five star rating or four point nine 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 rip stars on Airbnb. And to me, that just screams the bed that I'm going to be renting has been slept on by like thousands and thousands of people. Right. So personally, if I was renting something for long term, I would not want a furnished place. And I would especially not want a furnished place that used to be an Airbnb. Yeah, probably a lot of wear and tear on that furniture, a lot of miles on the couch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Like Maybe just get rid of it. Right? Yeah. And I mean, that's not always the case. But in general, I think a lot of these landlords will realize and they'll start to slowly unfurnish stuff, throw stuff out, 
And then there will be probably more long-term rentals uh, on the market, mm -hmm. which is positive. Um, I'm sure there's going to be people still airbnb -ing. Um, anyways, hopefully the enforcement is there. Um, I know that sometimes the enforcement's been pretty lax. Um, although I saw, I think maybe at the same time they announced this change, mm -hmm. they said that they were increasing the penalties by like 10 times. Yeah. So I'd imagine maybe some of that money can be used for better enforcement. If, yeah. If they're, finding, more at least, if, they're, right? if they're finding people 10 times the amount, yeah. hire 10 times more staff to, <laughs> to, you know, check out these Airbnbs. To be honest, I feel like it's maybe not that difficult. You can just go into Airbnb and look at the, you know, all you have to do is book the place and it'll give you the address. And yeah. then you go on, pull the title of, although you don't even have to pull the title if you're the government. Yeah. <laughs> you just you can go, well, you, I pull it, but it probably doesn't cost you anything. Yeah. And then they can just look right there who the owner is. Great. Tack a fine onto their property yeah. tax or whatever Definitely. they need to do. Boom. Yeah. Easy. <laughs> so I think it shouldn't be too difficult. I think they just need a little bit of manpower to do it. Yeah. Um, and I think it's positive change. There are so many Airbnbs mm -hmm. listed. Um, one kind of downside, I think, and I think we probably maybe talked about this before, is, is kind of upcoming events. Yeah. The World Cup's going to be here. Uh, hotel prices will probably be insane if, oh, if a lot of Airbnbs are banned. Um, maybe it'll be like the Olympics when people rented out their places. You know, they'd go away for two weeks and rented out their primary residence. Maybe people will do stuff like that, which would be in within the rules. But I think there's definitely going to be, um, yeah, the big changes coming. Uh, and Airbnb is going to, I think it's going to make a big, big difference. So Yeah, one of the things also with the events, I was talking with a past client. They actually work in the film industry, and they've been saying that one of the things that's going to be a little bit trickier is that when they have people coming into town, a lot of the film industry has been using Airbnb. So this will also be kind of a different uh, setup. I'm almost wondering if perhaps some of the film industry will long-term rent X unit and just keep on swapping their people out gradually. That is actually good, might be good to consider, yeah, because usually I feel like those TV productions and movie productions are like two to six months, yeah, maybe longer. They could be longer, but I think that kind of seems to be the amount. I get some phone calls every now and then with somebody says who says, hey, do you have any, you know, I, I work for Netflix and I'm looking for to put a cast member yeah. of a show in a place for, you know, three or four months or something like that. In general, we mostly work with long-term rentals, so we usually don't have stuff available, but every yeah. now and then we do. But that does make sense. The Netflix, big media giant, could just rent uh, you know, a couple places and have their cast members stay there yeah. uh, for you know three months, and then the next one comes, and three months there, and not a bad idea, actually. Yeah, so, but no, there, People are going to have to do some adjustments. We're going to see how, how they end up there. Uh, with the rules as well, a lot of the DIY landlords use DRTB1, which is, you know, the standard issue rental agreement from the government. I did notice from looking over them that there's a lot of things that they're silent on. What are a couple of things that you add to the RTB1, your addendums, to sort of help protect uh, for when you're doing placement only? Most of the things that we usually do, or the things that I usually add, uh, is especially an addendum that kind of clarifies some things. The RTB1 is, is a little bit vague. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, the Residential Tenancy Act at times can be a little <laughs> vague, uh, especially when they talk about things like wear and tear and stuff like yeah. that. Now, and even if some of the things that I add into these leases, they might not necessarily be like, you know, fixed clauses about stuff, but it's 
it's just something that the tenant would read and go, huh, maybe that's like a bit of a definition of wear and tear, or maybe this is something that I shouldn't do or, or should do to, to keep the place in good condition. Um, so kind of just adding more stuff to it because it's pretty bare bones, honestly. Well, Some of the clauses are just like one sentence yeah. that doesn't define any of the terms. Um, and usually like defining what what stuff means or you know the, the useful life of furniture or whatever, the you know, useful life of finishings, that stuff's really yeah. important to kind of have in there. Even though some of that stuff is in the Residential Tenancy Act, if it's not in the lease, some people might not look at the yeah, Residential absolutely. Tenancy Act and think about it. So uh, just making the lease, I know it sounds silly, but to make it longer <laughs> so yeah. that there's more stuff in there so that people read through it and it makes them think, hmm, maybe I shouldn't do this or absolutely like you want to be as least ambiguous as possible um it's interesting actually uh was speaking with somebody and they ran into a bit of an issue that their tenant had left for five months um so they didn't know and so a good clause to have in there is to alert the owner or property manager as it can cause problems such as notices from the building if you're in a strata or even in some cases, it might invalidate your insurance because if there's can... not somebody checking on it every exactly X, every X amount of days or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. And nobody knows. So like if you have a flood, well, your tenants on vacation are doing whatever they're doing yeah. and no one was checking on it, you could be taking it on the chair. Homeowners insurance. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. Um, and yeah, little things like that that might seem insignificant, like, oh, just tell them you're going away can be very important. So yeah. Which is just something that people wouldn't think of generally. And that definitely aren't in the RTB1 standard lease agreement, but good to put in an addendum to, you know, make sure the tenant knows that that's something they should do. Oh, absolutely. So uh, since you're speaking of stratas, the most active listing type, not surprisingly, is apartments at 78%, with townhomes being 6% and houses being 4%. Partial house has been fairly high the past couple of months, 12 and 13%. And when we're speaking of partial house, we mean basement suites and, and shared essentially. And that, do you think this is a result of the sustained high interest rates or what do you think is driving that? That people are kind of like splitting stuff up and, or yeah. So yeah, that makes sense. There's definitely some people who would maybe keep a basement suite empty mm-hmm. in, in periods of, of, uh, lower interest because their mortgage was lower and they don't really need that mortgage helper. Mm-hmm. Maybe they save it for friends and family who are coming to stay or something like that. Yeah. Um, definitely makes sense that people would go, huh, maybe I should, I've got a two bedroom, you know, mortgage <laughs> or mortgage helper downstairs. Maybe I should help the mortgage yeah, right? <laughs> and use it. So that does make sense. Um, and then also, yeah, dividing up houses, you know, maybe they previously rented out the house altogether. Mm-hmm. Maybe there's two suites in it, but just to make it easier on themselves, they rented it out altogether so that there was just only one, maybe one family living there just for, you know, make yeah. it easier for themselves. But maybe they go, huh, I can probably get more money if I split it up into two suites or at least, you know, have now two separate families in there paying more money. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that does make sense that we would see that. All right. Yeah. So these active listings, 40 percent of them were one bedrooms and 48 were two so they're kind of getting closer to where they are um, what is the breakdown of the type of tenant that you're seeing are they mostly looking for a one bedroom or are they mostly looking for a two bedroom or what, what are you um, feeling there? definitely a mix I, i've right now i've actually got available for rent a, a mix of one and two bedrooms mm-hmm. um and uh 
yeah, bit of a bit of a mix, I'd say. There's a lot of couples that are still lo- just looking to rent a one bed, but there's also a lot of couples that maybe have a bunch of stuff. They've got bikes, they've got, you know, a pet or something or whatever. Yeah. They've, they've just got more stuff, so they need a two bedroom or maybe they work from home. Um, so that's definitely a consideration is that, you know, even though they maybe don't need all that space, they kind of do need all that space. <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely I, there's still a mix I've seen of one and two bedrooms. It's pretty rare these days to see a single person yeah. renting a one bed. Honestly, I, I I have a couple tenants that are, but everybody's in a couple, <laughs> it seems. Um, now, whether, whether that be because, uh, you know, everybody's got really good, healthy relationships or because they need a little bit of extra straight up necessity, yeah, straight up necessity <laughs> need a little bit of extra help to pay the rent. Um, I mean, I've definitely, de- definitely pretty rare to see a, a single person for, uh, for a one bed. It's pretty rare. Yes. And speaking of this with the one bedrooms and two bedrooms and that, now that we've kind of, you know, we're a few years past the plague of 2020 where everyone was working at home. Have you seen people kind of moving back to the city and not needing that extra den anymore or workspace um, since I they're going back to the office? Or? I still f- see lots of people say, oh, we both work from home. Yeah. Okay, so. I, it seems pretty standard now. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the time, I actually ask, honestly, um, if it's a two bedroom or even a one bedroom, I'll just ask, you know, just to make conversation. But I usually <laughs> ask like, oh, do you guys work from home or do you work somewhere like nearby? Or yeah. And a lot of people at least one of the people works from home okay. usually. Yeah, yeah that's what I've sort of sustained. sustained. That's what I've been seeing. Um, yeah. And uh, even just, you know, talking to colleagues and friends and stuff like that, a lot of them went went hybrid at least or went yeah. went to work from home and never went back because, you know. It seems yeah. nicer actually, to be perfectly honest. But yeah, I think a lot, <laughs> I think also a lot of companies sold their office space yeah. or, or not sold or, you know, sold or stopped renting their office space because they realized why rent a huge office space where none of the employees want to come to anyways? <laughs> Actually, in February, we're planning to have a few more people from the commercial side of rentals, uh, including our, our illustrious manager at some point in time. Mo uh, will be coming down to explain the ins and outs on the commercial side since you and I generally and Vancouver rented specialize in residential per Ooh. se. Uh, so that'll be kind of interesting. We'll see if, if they did actually sell off their their commercial space or yeah, I don't happened. have any stuff to back that up. It just seems <laughs> like that's what's happened. Um, so remember hate mail. To yeah. Peter, skip the, <laughs> skip the hate mail. Skip the hate mail. Yeah. So yeah. Was, and you're talking about uh, coupling up because of possible necessities. Four out of the five most expensive cities in Canada are in BC with West Van being number one, North Van being number two and Vancouver proper being number three. Typical for our area least expensive place right now is Surrey and Langley. So things are getting kind of back down to normal yeah. where they generally lie. It's not too much of a, of a shock there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were talking earlier about live.rent. They actually share their income to rent ratio of users on their site. And they're actually listed at 50% of being spent on rent, which is astronomically highly. Generally speaking, they economically you should be about 30 percent, but i mean in vancouver that's probably not going to work yeah um is this what you're seeing out there on your applications that come in uh definitely not that high i'd imagine maybe that's like a little bit of a weird reporting Mm -hmm. kind of thing maybe some people don't and maybe there some people put their 
uh, net income as opposed to their gross income because oh, gotcha. um, it's usually you would use gross income for that. Um, but uh, yeah, definitely I've had some applications from folks who uh, you know are definitely on the edge, you know, maybe up at 40 percent or a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems pretty normal. Yeah. Um, but like 50 is a little too 50 high. is pretty high. Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty high. That doesn't really leave you much room. Also, something that I've been checking more recently has been savings. Um, okay. Just because, especially if they have that higher income to rent ratio, mm-hmm. you know, they're up at, you know, 40%. Let's see if they've got some additional savings. Um, as well, I've also been checking. Um, on our application, we ask what kind of car they drive. If somebody's driving like a brand new car, um, usually they're paying a lot of money for that car oh, per so month. Extra but if somebody doesn't have a car, well, there you go. You're, you're not spending you know $500 a month on your car payment or something like that. So that does kind of leave a little bit of extra. Yeah, it's um, good Just, you know, it's not, maybe it's not as tangible as some things, but yeah. it's just something, any little additional information that I can kind of glean from our application. And uh, yeah, if somebody's driving like a brand new, like 2023, electric vehicle but you know they're only you know they're making seventy five thousand a year and they're trying to rent something you know for three thousand a month and you go ah maybe you don't really maybe you have no money left over (laughs) at the end of the month uh or something like that so it's sort of like i take into account uh, especially i came from the service industry uh before here and that of where they work because tips obviously they can fluctuate but if you're working at black and blue or you're working at denny's Obviously, your tips at Black and Blue are going to be significantly higher than they were at Denny's. So even though both are making, I don't know if they're both doing minimum wage, but if they were, Mm -hmm. you can take a higher tip count at a higher end place as opposed to a very entry level uh, place. No knocking on anyone who works at Denny's, by the way. (laughs) But of course, you're just probably going to get... Lower tips at Denny's, I'd imagine, yeah, than at Black and Blue. So, yeah. Yeah, so, so the, the intricacies that you, yeah. there's no cut and dry. There's always little tiny things to consider when selecting an applicant or, or kind of just looking at, at uh, you know, how somebody fits into the whole, you know, rental picture. Oh, um, and uh, the more information that we can give our clients, then, you know, the more information they have to make a, make an educated decision. Well, exactly. I mean, ultimately, the... The, the owner signs the bottom line. We're simply agents that kind of guide the boat, but the owner's driving it. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And uh, yeah, like I said, the more information we can get from an application, um, it, even you know things like what kind of car they're driving does say a lot about a, a person's finances. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't actually look at their finances, you can still just tell, yeah. you know, this person's spending a lot of money on car payments or, or whatever, so. Yeah, actually, and I did have a call from a landlord actually that they had a leak into their unit from the strata above because their the strata or the unit above in that strata water tank had failed and it's interesting because the units that we have and this is a tip for any landlords that are out there that have a hot water tank for about 20 bucks you can get a alarm that's a moisture alarm that tells you if your water tank's about to go because they generally they don't just burst <laughs> they rust and they leak a bit yeah. and all this and usually the hot water tank is in a not used closet type of thing, right yeah so just a simple tip for any landlords that are listening if you do have a hot water tank whether it be in a strata or in a house go down to home depot and get yourself a 20 dollar moisture alarm just so that you can save yourself 
thousands of dollars worth of damage as well as insurance and whatnot. So. That, that, that is a good tip, actually. I, I think, I, you know, off the top of my head, I've probably got three or four units under management that yeah. in condos that have hot water tanks. They're pretty rare these days. Absolutely. Um, pretty rare. And I'm always surprised when I go in for the first time and I open a closet <laughs> and go, oh, there's a hot water tank in there. Because um, it, it's pretty rare. But I can think off the top of my head three or four that do. So yeah. very good point. Yeah. Do you have any other tips for prevention that you can think of off the top of your head? If you're a do-it-yourself landlord, um, just checking in with your tenant every now and then. Mm -hmm. I, I know maybe some people don't want to message them or don't want to bother them. But to be honest, a simple email saying, hey, is everything all good yeah. uh, can, can save you a lot of headache in the future. Um, maybe that prompts the tenant to take a look around for something because some people maybe just live somewhere and they just have the blinders on and they, <laughs> they wake up, they go to work and then they come home and go to sleep and they, they're not really looking at something that maybe a property manager would go in in an inspection, would go in and take yeah. a look. So even if you're not doing an inspection every two months, uh, you know, if you're only doing an annual inspection or every six months or something like that, just checking in with your tenant and saying, hey, how's it going? Yeah. Notice any leaks, notice any something. It also will build a good relationship with the tenant. I mean, if they know that you care, then they will care. Care you know, a little and, more too. Exactly. exactly. Like you, they, and they may just tell you that there's some really annoying, dumb thing like a, a, a cracked uh, light switch cover or something. But if you go there and fix it, then this just brings the good juju. It builds a lot of goodwill, <laughs> for sure. Exactly. Yeah. I always say to clients, um, you know, when they say, oh, should we fix this before the unit is rented out or, or something like that. You know, if it's a really absolutely. minor thing, absolutely. <laughs> You've got to start the tenancy off on the right foot. The place should be clean, should be all fixed. Yeah. Uh, and all your light bulbs should work. All the light bulbs oh should work. <laughs> I, to be honest, I usually give people about a, you know, a week or two once they've moved in, I say, Hey, if any of the light bulbs burn out mm -hmm. in the first week or two of you living here, you replace them and then send me the receipt and yeah. we'll, we'll reimburse you because it's pretty unfair if a light bulb that's supposed to last 50 years burns out one week into their tenancy right. because the last tenants used it for 50 years. You know? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's funny that you bring about the 50 years is that I suggest to a lot of landlords just to switch all their light bulbs to the LED ones that last. Like, they just last a billion hours. Yeah. And this way you never have to deal with the, you know, this guy didn't replace it or whatever it may be. Yeah. As well as the fact that generally I find that it's easier to determine what went wrong. So if you have all LED light bulbs mm -hmm. and all of a sudden one doesn't work, it's probably not the light bulb. Yeah, probably right? an electrical issue. Yeah, exactly. In which case, you know, you didn't want to like just to save time and headaches. You know what I mean? Obviously, test the light bulb first. You mm -hmm. know, put put a different one in there, whatnot. But it does help sort of just make everything a lot smoother because that way you never have to change a light bulb essentially for the life of the building. Yeah. So I mean, it's pretty easy yeah. to deal with, right? Good tip. Good tip for sure. Excellent. So I think we pretty much covered everything that um, we've got for, for January. Uh, how can listeners find you? Uh, if well, if they're going to send hate mail, <laughs> then they can't. But if they're going to reach out and they have questions about the rental market or anything like that, peter at vancouverrentit.com is my email address um, and our website, vancouverrentit.com. Uh, and all of our contact information is on there. Yeah. And I'll have everything there in the uh, description below as well. So be pretty easy to find. So thank you for everybody who's tuned in. If you've lasted this long, much appreciated. Uh, do be sure to subscribe and review us. Uh, it will help us get more information out there to more people. 
Come February will actually be our one-year anniversary nice. that uh, Bamboo has been around. And our next show that we will be having will have the Mortgage Geek, Jordan Kofsky, will be out there to explain to that. It happens to fall right on the 25th, so we will know exactly what happened with those mortgage rates. So thank you for everyone tuning in. This has been Bamboo, Vancouver's Investment and Property Management Podcast. Mm-hmm.